Welcome to episode 31 of 1530. Today we're going to be discussing the U.S. Open, specifically the semifinal and the final, and the excitement, or maybe lack of excitement, if you missed the big three um, in the Grand Slam. So we'll talk about the, the stats there. Welcome to 1530. Now introducing your hosts, Ben and Matt. First, we want to talk about the stat of the day. So the start of the day that we have is four consecutive finals that have gone to five sets. So this is the first time in Grand Slam history. So this this dates back to we had Wimbledon go five sets with uh, Federer and Djokovic, one of the epic matches. We had the U.S. Open where Medvedev went down two sets to love to Rafael Nadal, and he rallied and made it a five-set match but still lost to Nadal. And then the, the third match in a row was Australian Open. Uh, Dominic Team played... Novak Djokovic was up two sets to one and ended up losing that match in five sets. Obviously, we didn't play the French Open yet. It's going to be after the US Open. And then Wimbledon was canceled for the first time since, since World War II. And now we have the US Open where it also went five sets with Dominic Team uh, being the victor there. So kind of unique, uh, shocking. What is, what is this a sign of, Matt? Is this a sign of maybe more, more parity? Is it random luck? Changing in the guard. And what are your thoughts on that? Four consecutive Grand Slam finals that go to five sets. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a certain amount of it that, to me anyway, I think it's just uh, not necessarily a fluke per se, but it just happened to be the case. I don't know that it's really foretelling of a lot of things, but who knows? Maybe, maybe it's showing that competition's getting a little bit closer between the big three and the and the others or but i mean so how many of those obviously the u.s open was big three lists but of those other three matches how many non-big three players were in those um so one member of the big three represented at least one member i guess two two were in wimbledon is federer and djokovic and then after that it was just you know team and djokovic or medvedev and nadal so one one member of the big three. So like you're saying, maybe maybe that talks about how the margin is getting getting slimmer, right? Medvedev team, these guys are getting a little bit better. Uh, Nadal and Djokovic Federer are better, maybe, but not by a ton like they were. So I think you right. brought up a good point there. But yeah. I mean, that's good to see, right? I mean, you've got these guys at least going toe to toe with the big three. It's not just a straight set finish in the final, right? It's just never as much fun. Yeah, and I, I feel like it's more exciting too, right? When you go when you go five sets to to win the trophy, I think that's just means a lot more. Obviously, it's hard to win seven matches, but it's extra hard when you're when you're fighting to the to the max to the limit, right? To to get that fifth set and to to triumph. And it was funny too because I was watching the match uh, with my wife, and and Zverev was up two sets to love. I was like, this isn't even a competition. Zverev's playing so well. It's like, well, maybe team will come back and at least make it a match, and then push it to five sets and team wins. And my wife's like, oh, this match went way longer because if it had been best of three, it would have been done pretty quickly. So maybe we were also a little lucky there. And last year at the US Open, right, Medvedev was maybe a little lucky to come back. But I think I think there is something there that there's a little bit more parity in the game, which is fun for, for the fans, I think. But uh, let's, let's talk about our predictions, Matt. So who do we have? We had, um, I think I picked Medvedev to win it uh, over Zverev in four sets. Let's Obviously, not talk about this. Yeah, Medvedev obviously didn't make it out of the semis. Uh, Zverev made the final, and then I was super shocked looking at the scores. I didn't watch the full semifinal with Zverev and Kronobusta, but I saw that Kronobusta was up two sets to love. I'm like, Matt was freaking right. And then, of course, 
Zverev had his first comeback from two sets to love down. First uh, career comeback yeah. and he beats Karnabusa. So pretty shocking, but that's predictions are predictions, I guess. But yeah, what did you what would you take from from Zverev? I mean, that's that takes a lot of mental toughness to come back from two sets to love. Oh, absolutely. I agree. It, it's good to see, right? He made it to a final. He's got to feel good about that. It's got to be hard to be up two sets and a break in the the last match. Um, but obviously, you know, uh, to see him there is a good thing. There's been so much hype around Zverev, uh, so much talk about him doing stuff, and he just hasn't delivered. So I don't know. I'm sure that I have to imagine that um, having no fans in the crowd was helpful for him feel like he didn't feel a lot of the pressure that maybe he normally does. Um, so that was probably helpful. But who yeah. knows? We'll see. You know, we'll see if he can maintain it and, and build on it. That's the real question, right? Can you build on this? Can you can you make it? Or are you going to let it kind of crush you and move on? I think that's something that the big three is so good at. It's just saying, okay, well, you know, I was so close, but I just got to move on. I fed when he lost the, what was it, to joke. And he, he should have won the match, but he lost to joke. And, he was asked about it, and he just showed his – gave a little insight on his mental fortitude when he just talked about, you know, you got to move forward, you got to keep going. I think they're able to do it more than anybody, but yep. it'll be interesting to see what happens with Shasha. Right. Short-term memory loss for the for the bad ones, for the bad losses, and like you said, you build on it. But I, I'm convinced – I'll just say it right here. I'm convinced Vera will win a Grand Slam someday if he plays the way that he did, especially in the first two sets – I, I saw a very different Zverev. I know this isn't the first time he made a semifinal of a major, right? He made the semis in Australia and kind of got the monkey off his back there because he had never made a semi before that. He lost in a tight one to, to team uh, with a bunch of tie breaks and four sets. But look, not only does Zverev come back from two sets to love down, he came out in the final with the game plan. He was hitting the serve very well, 132 mile an hour bombs, right? Lots of aces. He, he was hitting the forehand with conviction, right? A lot of times that's a shot where he just likes to kind of play it into the court, go cross court maybe, and he likes to finish things off with his backhand. But he was hitting the forehand up the line. And there was a, there was, I remember there was one shot where team hit a very good cross court, you know, kind of pulled him off the court and Zverev just hit it up the line, you know, almost 100 miles an hour for a winner. And the commentators were like, I've never seen Zverev, you know, hit the forehand like that. Very shocking. He's going to net very effectively. He looked... Like definitely like one of the better volleyers. I know he put in a lot of time during the COVID offseason, I'll call it, working on his volley. So I think if he can, like you said, if he can build on this, I think for sure we have a Grand Slam winner. And let's not forget, he was up a break in the fifth. He was serving at 5-3 and couldn't do it. So it could have just been – and it went to a tiebreak in the fifth, right? He could have easily been the one to to pull off the trophy. He didn't team, you know, was able to grit it out. But I, th- I think – I think Zverev has a lot of great potential, and I think we'll see him winning, winning maybe even multiple slams if he can if he can build on this, like you mentioned. So we'll, we'll obviously get into the full numbers of that match, but first of first of all, I want to talk about IBM's uh, key to the match. This was obviously done by Watson, their supercomputer. We've talked about it before on how sometimes it doesn't feel like like those keys necessarily represent the match, but again, it's just a they kind of model the match based on hey, this person this player and how they match up against this player, what would be the most most likely scenarios for, for how the player would win? They kind of predict almost like the strategy in which the win points, right? Kind of interesting. But uh, this is the first time I had seen a key to the match in the U.S. Open for regarding 1530. So in the final, 
the key to the match for Zverev was he needed to win 75% of his points when serving at the score of 1530. Uh, he did that in the second set, which he won. Did, he didn't do that in the first set, which he also won. And of course, the rest of the match, you know, he dropped the last three sets. But kind of interesting that maybe even Watson's catching on to, to 1530. It, it really is, you know, an essential point. That's what our podcast is named after, right? Because, you know, as the server, if you, if you drop that 1530 point, you're setting up yourself for two break points and nerves can come in, luck can come in. But if you can win that 1530 point and go back to 30 all, the server has a huge advantage at 30 all. So it really is kind of that, you know, that, that pivot point there. It, it is an important point in tennis. And it's just interesting. I hadn't, hadn't seen that as a stat uh, for a key to the match. Maybe it's been there before, but I saw that in multiple, I think in the slam or in the slam semis, the US Open, it was also a key to the match. So Maybe uh, maybe Watson's going all on on fifteen thirty. I don't know, but thought that was interesting. Agreed. Glad to see that the computers are finally catching up to our genius. That's right. <laughs> uh, let's see. So we'll let's let's go ahead and cover the the semifinals first of all, and then we'll and then we'll go into our thoughts with. Obviously, this is team's time. This is, and we want to talk about Dominic team and how he's become so great on the hard courts. But first, let's let's cover the semifinals. Now, what were your thoughts on? I don't know how much you were able to catch of it or see the scores. What were your thoughts on the semifinals? We had Zverev and Karanabusta, and we had Team and Medvedev. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I was not able to watch them. But if you look at it, I mean, we talked a little bit about the Zverev semifinal. Karanabusta had the two set lead, <laughs> and he uh, fell apart. I, I don't know. I mean, I'll let you break this these down a little bit more. I I mean, I'm not surprised that Zverev won. I'm not surprised that team pulled it off. I'm surprised that Medvedev was just serving so poorly. Me too. Me too. Uh, and I think that in the end just really hurt him. Yep. It's hard to it's hard to win when you can't get a serve. No, I agree. And we'll uh, let's let's I guess let's talk about that match first. The team Medvedev. This was billed as this is really the final, right? Team and Medvedev are both the guys that had the highest odds of winning the tournament once Djokovic got knocked out. And the first set was really weird, right? So they were going back and forth, and it was tied maybe two all. Then all of a sudden, the umpire – so what happened was Medvedev missed a serve, and it showed it on the on the screen that the commentator showed, right? He wasn't able to challenge because then his next shot he missed, and when he said, I want to challenge my own serve being out, the, the chair umpire wouldn't let him, which – the commentators totally disagreed. They said, why couldn't Medvedev challenge? He did in a timely fashion. He did actually miss the serve anyways. So that, um, and this was on a crucial point. I think it was either 30 all or, or, or maybe 1530. I don't remember, but this kind of threw Medvedev off. And then he started, you know, chirping back at the chair umpire. And he went over to look at the mark, which if you cross the net and it's not during a changeover, that's apparently a violation. That's a, so he got a, a rule, you know, basically a warning for violating that rule. So Medvedev got very chirpy. He didn't win another game in that set. So he lost at 6-2. So I think that kind of just set him off, so which is weird, right? That you got to be mentally tough. But this team was, was hanging in there. And then in each of the next sets, he was up a break every time, Medvedev. And then team would somehow rally and get the break back. The best set, the best set was, the, was the third set. But, yeah, it was actually, you know, predicted based on our, our serve factor – you know, like you said, Medvedev, we expected him to have a huge edge to serve, which he didn't. Team was better than him by 17 points on the serve factor. And, 
you know, this match was predicted to be a four set, you know, a tight four setter based on this. And then in actuality was a three sets, you know, it was a, it was a tight three setter. So kind of, kind of bummed for Medvedev. He couldn't hold the lead once he had the break on either any of the sets. And then the first set, he kind of just gave it away because he had some mental lapses, but yeah, like I said, we'll get into the numbers. So team was actually better at his first serve points one at 79% to Medvedev at 76% barely. But that was, that's one thing I thought Medvedev would have the advantage of the big serve and then maybe a big shot after that, or just, just an ace, you know, and then on the second serve points one, Medvedev was a, was a very horrible 40% and team was 55%. So I think that that right there is going to make your serve factors a lot different. So team was just much better on the second serve points one. Then if we continue on break points, you know, again, Medvedev was 15% worse on break points, converting them than team was. Return points were pretty close. Medvedev was about 30%. Team was almost 40%, which it's it's hard to get ahead in your service games if you you have that much pressure on you, if team is winning that many uh, return points. But overall, both guys were negative on the unforced errors. I, I kind of mentioned, you know, these matches were, this was supposed to be billed as like the top match, right, the final one. And the quality, I guess, was there for team for hanging in there and coming back. But there was a lot more errors than unforced, so maybe not as clean tennis. So I don't know, Matt. Is that is that a factor of not having the big three there? And the guys are just – they don't know how to play? Or what are, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah. I, that's a good question. I, I keep waiting to see somebody really uh, really put up any sort of consistent effort against the big three. I don't think we've seen it. I don't, I don't think we've really seen much of that. I, I think that any tennis played in 2020 has to have a big asterisk on it. I know we talk a lot about stats, but there are also other factors that play into these matches and play into it. And I think probably condition-wise, maybe none of these guys are at what they usually are because of quarantines, because of just totally upended routines. And so I have to imagine that part of, you know, these – Medvedev's serving 60% on his first serve and uh, just really some funky numbers and high unforced errors. I have to imagine some of that is just, they're just not used to, to playing tennis. You know, you have to maintain such a, uh, you know, a certain athletic, athleticness. Yeah. You probably don't, didn't have that. So you're playing a fortnight of tennis. You know, I don't know if either of the, I can't, think if I these played in the, the attorney that was right before this I know joke did but uh, so you just there, there's a lot of tennis not a lot of buildup I have to imagine that played into a lot of kind of maybe the sloppiness that we saw in some of these matches the final especially and maybe some of these semi-final matches so yeah. the role. I, I think that the big three are still out of reach I to answer your question <laughs> yeah more succinctly I yep. think if if Joke, I mean, if Joke hadn't deked himself, this would have been a walk in the park for him. <laughs> semifinals and, and even the final, you know, playing team in the final. I, I just don't see how this would have been any competition for him. Yeah. No, I think you bring up uh, very valid points, right, with the conditioning. I think that's maybe almost why team was, was so overly favored. He played so many exhibitions all summer long. He stayed match fit. I think like you're saying, so many guys did not. And they, uh, you know, there's a little bit of that rust from not playing as much tennis because 
though they played the the Western and Southern Open, which again they didn't play at Cincinnati, they played at, at New York. They didn't play the the Washington tournament right before. Obviously, Canada was canceled. The the other hardcore tournament right before. So it's really only one tournament. And if you if you don't go very deep in Cincinnati, if you don't get your footing there, you might not uh, you might not get played into match match shape. You could even say, or even just you know used to your serving. So. And that's what I was concerned about team. I didn't think he'd win the tournament because he played so poorly at Cincinnati. But I think part of that was just crying to check how he was able to be so offensive and just not give team any time. I did also read an interesting article talking about how team benefited from a slower court on Arthur Ashe. All the outside courts were much faster. Had he had to play it back there against the big server on the outside courts, it might not have gone so well for him, just like it didn't go well for him at the Western Southern Open. So I thought that was a very interesting point. But, um, little siren going on. No, it's all good. Um, but, but I guess back to your point about the big three. So, you know, these guys, they, they get in a semifinal and they know that there's a chance that they're going to win the title and there's no Djokovic or Federer or Nadal to deal with. I think they almost, they almost get tentative. They don't know, do I play the aggressor, the role of the aggressor? Or do I just, you know, let the other guy miss. Now, on the flip side, if they are playing the big three, they know they have no choice. They can't just wait for the big three to miss. That's not going to happen. The big three will dictate. So I think I think you saw moments in, in matches, especially in the final, where Zverev, he came up with such a good game plan, and then for whatever reason, he started letting team back in it, didn't continue with his crisp volleys and his big forehands. Sometimes he would go to that, but it was just, you know, he hit the volleys right back at team. Um, team did end up hitting some great passing shots and whatnot, but yeah, I just I just feel like if if Team or Zverev was playing against the big three, they would be going for their shots 100% of the time. And I think that's why Team has had such great success. He's beaten Nadal at the hard court in Australia. He's beaten he's beaten Djokovic at the French Open. Right, he can beat the he can beat these guys, but he has to be playing good tennis. And so maybe with Zverev and Team, maybe the nerves. You know, not know how to play, not playing, not being match fit, like you said, and then you just end up with a final that, you know, there's it was it was still okay tennis, but there was a lot more unforced errors, maybe not as not as crisp of tennis as we as we're used to seeing. But I still enjoyed the final. It uh, I'm glad team made it a match and was able to kind of come back. And then it was really anybody's match. I mentioned Zverev served for it at five three in the final. Team served for it at six five in the final. And then the tiebreak, both guys were cramping. And I was like, oh, team looks like he's cramping worse. I thought he was just going to lose based on that. But he was able to come back from a couple points down, a mini breakdown in the, in the tiebreak and win. So team's a fighter. And I, and I got to give it to him. I'm super happy for him. I know he's had a lot of tough losses. You know, He hasn't played bad in the French Open final. He didn't play bad at the Australian Open final. But he just hasn't got over that hump. So I wonder if this will build. And he'll have even more confidence. But uh, yeah. I guess I'm just excited for team and excited for Zverev. I think the future of the sport is bright, but these these guys got to get their confidence underneath them. So we're gonna. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. Yeah, go oh, can I just mention something real fast? Go. Was this the first? Was this the first Slam final that Zverev's been in? Yes, it is. Right. So I I think some of it may come down to that too. I mean, you're both cramping. You're both in different situ- in these similar situations. Team's been there, though. Right. Right. And so he's lost them all. <laughs> but he finally, you know, he said, all right, I've had this experience before. You know, I know what's going on a little bit, maybe a little bit better than, than Zverev. And so that may have propelled him a little bit more yeah. there in the end. 
down the road. Down the road. Definitely. And, and on the flip side, right, you could think, well, Zverev, you know, making his first Grand Slam final, if he would have won it, that would have been incredible, right? Most guys, they don't win their maiden Slam final. And think about team, if he would have lost, that would have been his fourth loss in the in Grand Slam finals, which would have tied a dubious record for Murray, Yvonne Lendo, guys that just can't, you know, it took them a long time to win a final. Part of that was their level of competition, but, you know, maybe part of it's mental. So, I'm kind of glad for team that he's not in that category because, you know, we call him a young gun, but he's really not that young. I think he's 27. Zverev, Tsitsipas, these guys are actually, you know, super young, 22, 23 in that range. So they have a lot of time. Um, so, again, that's maybe another reason why I'm, I'm excited for team. So let's, uh, let's finish off the numbers, and then we'll go through. We want to kind of summarize the US Open. We'll talk about our, our, you know, the players that were the biggest surprises for us, maybe the biggest um, – Biggest letdowns or disappointments, and maybe our favorite matches, and we can kind of conclude that way. But let's uh, let's let's do some more talking of the numbers. And Matt, I feel like we should do uh, we should do a good job of explaining the surf factor to our to our listeners. We talk about it a lot. So again, it's uh, it's a way that it's a one number that you can compare uh, different players, and it it takes into account their first surf percentage in their first surf points one and their second surf points one into one convenient number. And how I like to think of it is if you compare the two surf factors, you subtract them between the two different players that are playing, that's your surf factor differential. And that should tell you how tight the match, you know, is or was. If you have enough data, you can kind of predict it real time. And it just kind of gives you a good snapshot of the match, of how the match is being won. Now, it doesn't always turn out, right? We had Zverev Krenabusta. Krenabusta actually had a higher surf factor um, by two points, and he lost. So it does happen, especially when there's a lot of tie breaks. But it's almost like I came up with the analogy just recently, thought I'd share it, um, like the electoral college or the popular vote, right? So this, this year is an election year for the United States presidential election. The person who wins the popular vote doesn't necessarily always win the electoral college, right? Like, you know, you could, I think Hillary Clinton won by, you know, a few million votes in 2016, but she still lost the electoral college to Donald Trump because that's just the way that it works out with the winner take all system. She didn't win the right votes, you could say. And just like with the surf factor, even if someone has a better surf factor, but loses, they maybe didn't re win the right points, maybe in a tie break, maybe a couple break points didn't go their way. So kind of a good way to think of it, but I think it does show, you know, just like the team Medvedev match, it was tighter than the, than the score showed. It was not just a straight sets affair on the statistical side. It was a four setter based on the surf factor. So kind of like, kind of like using that as a tool and, and it's a unique tool that we have here at 1530. So um, we'll talk about the final. The final was actually the second tightest match that I charted. It had a differential surf factor differential of four. Both guys didn't have a very high surf factor. I consider surf factor of like hundred to be pretty good. That's, you know, a lot of times Djokovic, Federer, these guys are like 120, 110. Team was 102, I guess, in the semis against Medvedev, but in the final, Team was 90, and Zverev was 86. So both guys did not play very well on that account. Team team had 48% second, second points won, and Zverev was even worse at 41% second serve points won. So just, you know, we're used, to, we're used to over 50 for someone, you know, dominating and doing well. Zverev played fairly well all tournament, though, with his first serve points won at 70%, but his drop-off with the second serve, right? He had all these errant double faults. He where he's not accelerating on the 
on the ball and he, or just really bad misses. So there's a few times where he was actually going for it, you know, 130 miles an hour in a second serve. And so I think that'd be an interesting future episode to talk about the statistics of basically just serving two first serves. But Zverev, I think that really hurt him. He needed to tighten that up. On the break points one, it was by 10%. Team got him 54% conversion to 44%. The return points were pretty much exactly the same at 40%. So both guys putting decent amount of pressure on each other. And we saw that with lots of breaks. And then I mentioned the unforced error ratio being minus 12 and minus 13. You know, both negative by quite a bit. So not as high quality as Verov. 65% points one at the net. It was much better in the first couple sets. Kind of dropped off a little bit. Team didn't go to the net as often, but he finished at a higher percentage at 74%. So overall, team only won four more points than Zverev. But in the surf factor, four points better. Um, anywhere between zero and 10 on the surf factor differential. That's a that's a tight five setter. And that's exactly what it was. But again, it was a, it was a great fight between both guys. Both guys are very respectful team was uh was lavishing praise on Zverev. They had a cool little secret handshake that they did or you know because they're they're very close. They grew up together in these in these tournaments becoming pros together. They have great respect for each other. And it's uh I mean this could be an interesting rivalry if they're if they're two of the top guys here for a while. So those are those are the numbers I have for that match. And then yeah I think we already kind of covered the Medvedev Medvedev team. The the popcorn match that, that really wasn't but Team played good enough to win there. Okay, Matt, let's talk about um, kind of the biggest biggest surprise. Which which player to you was the biggest surprise this year at the U.S. Open? Yeah, I mean, you have to go, well, in my opinion, with Karina Busta. I, I say this understanding that he, he was gifted. <laughs> <laughs> he was gifted life there, right? I mean, how unfortunate he's playing joke. Uh, he, he was up a break in that in that first yeah. set, but um, no, I mean, Joe probably would have would have taken it outright it, by any estimation. But he was gifted that. So I, the reason I say Korean Busta though is even though he didn't have to actually beat Joke, um, if you if you think about like March Madness, I'm a big college mm -hmm. football college basketball guy. Sorry. And uh, they had their giant tournament at the end of the year. And all these teams play, and it's just upset galore in the first rounds, right? Now, a lot of times what you'll see is that you may have, like, this crazy upset in the beginning, but they're going to lose in the next round. It's the worst. I'm a Duke fan. They get upset way more often than they should in the first or second round. And then the team goes on to lose because it was just a fluke of a game. It was just like mm -hmm. they played lights out in that first round against – crazy good competition and then boom they're done whereas Karina Busta he took advantage of the gift he was given so he, he didn't have to really play joke but he moved on and he won he beat Shapovalov and then you know made it to the semis where he put up a really tough fight against Zverev um, and, you know obviously Zverev pulled, pulled himself together and took the match but I I don't know. I think that's great. I, he took advantage of what he was given and, and really moved forward. So I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if it's carrying forward. I mentioned to you before we started recording that, you know, he just lost six one six one to Rafa in this tournament to play, but they are on clay, right? So yeah. You gotta no, get to Rafa. But anyway. Yeah, that's a good point that you, you bring can up. See him out there. You can see him play. 
Yeah, Karina Busta was he was so consistent, so good with that forehand, keeping the ball deep. He he actually was fairly fun to watch, even though he he plays a little bit more of a counter puncher style. But he was he was amazing. And and to say, you know, he might not have just been a one time fluke, right? He he made the US Open semifinals in 2017. So maybe he's more like a Wichita State or you know, some small team that makes it far the dance uh, a couple, you know, multiple times. So yeah, he really, he really did do great. It was very close to a final, his first Grand Slam final. But let's see. For biggest surprise, I'd probably have to go with Rublev. I think he's, uh, I think he's finally living up to the billing. He had a lot of hype when he first came in to the uh, to being a pro, and then didn't really have the results there. Uh, last year, I believe it was last year, he beat Federer in straight sets on Cincinnati, one of his favorite courts. This guy can play some offense. I think last last time we we had an, had our episode episode thirty, we talked about how Rublev had the highest first serve points won, right? So he he hits his first serve, and then he's able to win that point better than anybody else left in the tournament, which is shocking because he's not a big guy at all, right? He puts everything he has into his shots. He's a smaller guy, but he also delivered. He beat beat some good opponents. Uh, the first couple rounds, maybe not anybody crazy, but he beat him in straight sets. And then the fourth round, Berrettini, kind of a rematch of the U.S. Open uh, in the quarters, Berrettini beat him last time around in four sets. This time he beat he beat Berrettini in four sets, which Berrettini was one of the better players last year in 2019. Uh, another pleasant surprise that I have was Shapovalov. Of all the players to get to the quarters and you know almost the semis, if he would have won the fifth set against Busta Krenabusta, you know he he did great. I thought he was a little bit less polished. I thought players like Zverev and uh, Pass, even even some other players would have go would have gone further than him, but. Shapovalov played really well. He he plays some very high risk tennis. He goes for the winner a lot, which is exciting. Um, in his five setter that he lost, he had 76 winners, but unfortunately he had or 75 winners, excuse me, but he had 76 unforced errors. So he plays aggressive. It's fun to watch. He just needs to dial it back a little bit. He actually also had a little bit of double faults that were creeping in. Gotta learn from uh, your guys Vera there, not not have those double faults. So I'm cut down on the misses, but he's a very fun player to watch. I think he has a good future, and I was pleasantly surprised by his performance in the slam. All right, Matt, who's your biggest disappointment of the tournament besides Djokovic? Yeah. <laughs> out, which blue that that was. Guess I'll guess I'll get my disappointment here first. So for me, I would say. Uh, Pass was pretty rough, uh, seeing Pass lose in the manner that he lost, not just, I mean, Chorich is a great player, right? He's very consistent, but the manner that Chorich beat him because Pass had six match points, right? There was one, actually a 1530 moment for the, for the slam where he, Pass was at 1530 and this was at 5-2 in the fourth set. Pass needed to win this game and then he would win the match. And he he hits he hits a serve, but he lets Chorich, you know, out offense him, which Tsitsipas is extremely offensive. Uh, Chorich hits a huge backhand up the line, and then he comes to net and finishes a very nice angled volley. And it's 1540, two break points, and we all know what happens there, right? Tsitsipas gets broken. Um, his two break advantage goes away, and eventually he loses 7-5 in the fourth set. So just Kind of disappointed in the manner that he lost, but I still think he played his big game style. He really was, you know, all he needed was one of the six match points to, to win that match. And I, I do think he has a great future, but very disappointed. I think this could have been a good good opportunity with him for him. But I guess the other player I'd have to say as well was Raonic. 
you know, he beat Djokovic 6-1 in the first set at, in uh, the Western and Southern Open. Of course, he ended up losing the next few sets, but he was playing very highly offensive tennis. He was really feeling it. Huge serve. And then what does he do? He loses very, very early on in the U.S. Open to his to his uh, uh, compatriot, Hospicil. Very, very shocking. So I'm not the Hospicil's a bad player, but, you know, Raonic, I, I had him going a lot further. So I'm, I'm a little disappointed there. He's Raonic can be a fun player to watch when he has everything working. He has pretty good hands, big serve. He really has it all. It just he needs to string it together, I guess. So that was my biggest disappointment of the tournament. Matt, any uh, big disappointments you want to talk about? No, yeah, you stole mine with Raonic coming in <laughs> off a really good showing in the Southern Western. And then just, yeah, lame ducks it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even really a competition. I, I guess there were two tie breaks in that that match versus Pospisil. He won one of them. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, he, two of the sets he broke, he got broken. Lost six three six three. So, what can you do? What can you do? Yeah. But at least, at least Varev isn't on the biggest disappointment list. I figure, I feel like he's always <laughs> on my list for biggest disappointment. <laughs> oh, poor Zverev. He's uh he, he's doing fine, you know. Last two slams, he has done great. Um, let's see, what would I say? Uh, another disappointment. This is a general disappointment. I could name other players like John Isner or Anderson, but just in general, was the was lack of big servers. I, I thought we were going to have a year similar to you know other U.S. Opens or Wimbledon's where we have, you know, like I said, guys like John Isner or Kevin Anderson or Milos Raonic make the last four and even make the final. Um, these courts were billed as very, very quick. All the players, that was the talk of the, you know, Western Southern Open. That was the talk of the U.S. Open. But we really didn't see any big servers besides Varev, I guess, if you count his first serve sometimes. We really didn't see the, the, the big servers deliver. So I'm kind of disappointed in that. But like you like you were saying earlier, it could have just been they weren't able to, to get their serve into form. You know, John Isner lost in the first round to Steve Johnson, and Steve Johnson's a, a good player, but just just a little disappointed. I feel like those guys can be the most inconsistent of them all. You know, Isner and Anderson, they can make a Wimbledon semi, but they can also lose in the first round. You just never know what you're going to get with those guys. But uh, so I'm a little disappointed in the big servers. And the Americans in general, I think you mentioned that. I mean, yeah. did we have a single American make past the past the third round? I think we had Tiafo, uh, but I think he lost to Medvedev oh, very yeah, yeah. meek in the fourth round. But still, it's like put up a shot, you know, put up a put up a fight against yeah. Medvedev, but yeah, Tiafo got got destroyed. Uh, tennis tennis does not belong to the Americans at at the moment, <laughs> and probably won't for a long not time. Not at the moment. <laughs> that is for sure. And that's all right. It's good to oh, see. Yeah, awesome to see all this international talent. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, I totally agree. And then I just want to talk real briefly about Dominic Team and his his statistics. So I was looking at, you know, his statistics for the even just the last you know couple of years. He really has gone from being mediocre on hard courts to being one of the best players on hard court. I think for me, his turning point was when he won the Indian Wells final against Federer. Uh, I believe that was in 2019, or uh, maybe it's 2018. But anyways, he won that final against Roger Federer in three sets. I think Fed even won the first set. He came back to win it. And ever since then, his hardcore game, he's just really known how to play on hardcore. Almost beat Joke in Australia, which is 
almost as hard as beating Nadal on clay. He won his first Grand Slam. I thought it would have been on clay, but team won his first Grand Slam on U.S. Open hardcore that, again, wasn't playing wasn't playing slow. So impressed with team. I was looking at his numbers. Really, though, it wasn't things like first serve percentage or even second serve, or excuse me, first serve points one or second serve points one, which I would have thought it was because on hardcore, you really do have to win more on your first serve. It was actually things like break points and first serve in. So if I, if I look at this little chart that I can draw, it shows team's career first serve in on hardcore. So I'm going to draw that chart here. And it's showing that from 2018, his first serve percentage in was 58%. It rose all the way up to 66% in 2019. Uh, and 2020, just dipping a little bit below that, but still uh, still right there. It's at 63%. So so maybe that's something the team has done. You know, he's he's tried to take a little bit off his first serve, getting it in, and then you're not necessarily playing defense on that first serve. So I thought that was interesting. That's kind of Nadal's strategy a little bit on – I know a lot of courts, especially on clay, you just get that first serve percentage up. But I do think that's helped him. And then the other thing, which is always helpful when you win break points, but the break point numbers were better. So let me go to that one as well. Break points percentage one on hard court. So they were, in 2018, it was 37%. And in 2019, it went up to 41%. Um, so that's a pretty pretty big difference for, for tennis, right? It's only 4%, but that, I mean, that can mean the difference between losing in five sets and winning in straights if you're just converting those breakpoint opportunities that you get. But really, besides that, I couldn't see much difference in team's game even though I know he's gotten dramatically better on the hardcore. And maybe it's just harder to tell some of it stylistically, right? He's just going for it more, not just rolling the ball in. He's he's hitting the ball much harder. He's doing better at net when he goes there to finish the ball. So just wanted to do a brief shout out to team that I think it is his time to do better. And we'll see if he can continue to build, especially on the hardcore. Um, I think he's been an interesting player there. And Matt, now it's, uh, now it's clay court season for you. Kind of weird having clay court here in the fall, huh? This is going to be interesting. Yes, it's the best season of all. I was uh, no matter when in the year it is. <laughs> I was starting to wonder if you know if it's going to make a difference for Rafa being a different time of year, but so far his results say otherwise, yeah, right? So far, so good. So far, so we'll good. See. He's actually, um, according to Ultimate Tennis Statistics, Joke uh, is favored to win the tournament they're playing in right now. Interesting. Is it because of the draw? I haven't looked much at the draw. Is it? Because I haven't of either. It's maybe. Huh. Yeah, I have, I just saw the just saw the line at top. They showed the. I mean, obviously Rafa's second, but it's like a ten percent. I think I think jokes at like forty percent, and Rafa's at thirty or something. Huh. It's a bit of a difference. That is a big difference. It'll be weird to see. I, I wonder how a player Pizzi Pots is one of those weird players, kind of like Stan, where he plays really well on the clay and the hard court. Um, Pizzi Pots on his ultimate tennis stats says that he likes really fast courts and clay. It's like, huh, those don't go together. But um, he's, a, he's a fantastic player. He had the, the memorable match against Wawrinka. Wawrinka uh, in the Roland Garros. I think it was fourth round, went to five sets, like eight, six in the fifth. Tsitsipas keeps having these epic matches and then is on the losing side of it. So I I don't know what that is, to, to tell you the truth. But he needs to, needs to come out of it. I was, again, like I said, that was, that was probably my favorite match of the tournament. Was the was the Chorich Pass match as far as quality and excitement and 
Chorich just, you know, playing mentally tough, coming back from six match points. So what was your favorite match, Matt? Any uh, could have just been highlights or moments. Is there a favorite match that you had? Yeah, my favorite match was when Djokovic got disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. No, no I, I will I will I will stand on the hill that joke should not have been disqualified for that and possibly other players um you know named something like Fed may not have been disqualified had they been in joke shoes there. Interesting, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, curious, no, joking, I, curious is joking of how many years he would be banned from the sport had he done that. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, right on. No, I'm just joking. I mean I think it was nice to that it provided new blood, and it uh, kept Fed and it all safe in the uh, total slam numbers. <laughs> yeah, but you got you got to feel for the guy. Maybe he'll yeah. learn from it. Definitely. Well, it's been an exciting U.S. Open first one without uh, without having the big three win it. I think in our last uh, last year's wrap up, we were talking about would the would the next gen or would the young guns win a slam in 2020? We were right; they did win one, but just not the manner that we thought they would win it. So, I guess we have that checked off our list. Unless you don't want to count team as a next gen, and then I guess they still haven't won one. But interesting times, yeah. So the French Open that's that's going to be in a couple weeks, right, Matt? That'll be that'll be crazy to see if Nadal can win. What will it be? His thirteenth? I think his thirteenth Roland Garros. I thought this was fourteen. Fourteen, yeah. Either way, just ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous the amount that he's won. Well, that's that's all we have here from fifteen thirty. Please visit us at cognitionsphere.com. Our theme music is brought to us by Kevin MacLeod with excerpts from his song Cool Rock. And please just share our podcast with a friend, especially a friend that would love tennis. And we'd appreciate that. And until next time, we will see you on the court.